turn with me over to the book of Matthew. <clears throat> the last time we were together, we talked about our objectives as a congregation. Three things we want you to experience when you come to us. One, to have a significant encounter with Jesus Christ. Two, to experience community as we manifest it. And we like to think of ourselves as a very large family. And three, to extend the kingdom beyond us. Though there are three E's. Encounter Christ, experience community, and extend the kingdom. Uh, Today begins the, the process of us going through our core values. Things around which we build most of our activity. That we hold dear. Points of theology that kind of ground us as a people and give us our unique um, position and calling. We're not better than anybody else, that's for sure. But it does allow us to understand how we need to do what God has called us to do, the uniqueness of our positioning on the planet. There are five things in our core values. Evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, family, and lordship. The lordship of Christ, what it means to be the family of God, leadership development and how we train up young people and and old people for that matter to become what they need to be, discipleship that everybody needs to be doing and have done to them, and then evangelism. Today we're going to continue with the idea of extending the kingdom by talking about evangelism as one of our core values today. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is speaking about Jesus and the disciples and their interaction. It says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Verse 18. And Jesus came up and, and, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Lord, help us as we study. Three things I want to concentrate from this passage, um, focus on. One, that the disciples had a dutiful response. Two, Jesus had dynamic authority. And three, there was, there was real direction in their progress given here by Jesus. He wanted them to go in a certain way. Let me give you the backdrop. Jesus has risen from the dead. And he is now in the process of having spent just about the, at, at the completion of 40 days with them after his resurrection. That's, that's, that's quite a bit of time. When you can be with the Father permanently to have to get back into this mess. To, to just stay in heaven and be worshipped without all this junk? There must have been some preference in Christ to say, I'd rather be with these guys. They have some things that they got to get for me that I wasn't able to give them before the, cr- the cross because now some things have happened after the cross whereby their minds see things differently. And they can receive Old Testament passages that they've never been able to receive before because they didn't know what they meant, i.e., all of Isaiah chapter 53, he was bruised for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquity. What did that mean? Well, now they have a picture. They got the nail prints in his hands and, the, and in his feet and the, and the piercing in his side. They, now he's able to open up the Old Testament like never before. And it does say in parallel passages in the Gospels that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What a conference for 40 days with Jesus. 
the resurrected Christ, the one, the only one who has ever permanently defeated death. Now, other people have been raised from the dead by other people. But once they were raised from the dead, they had to die again. Lazarus, I imagine, had a conversation with Jesus. You know I've been through this once, right? I mean, you could have left me there. And I appreciate, I guess, coming back to everybody, but really? Can we make my second passage a little bit less painful? The Bible says he was sick and that Jesus waited. He delayed a moment to come to him because he wanted a greater miracle to happen other than just his healing. And so he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But wow, Jesus, you had to take me through that? Really, really? And then you raised me back up. Can can I just be like Elijah and just pass right on through in a chariot or something? Can you have have an angel come pick me up or something? I got to go through it again, 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 again. Oh, come on, really? Thank you. Thank you, by the way, Jesus. Thank you, thank you. You always want to be grateful. You may, never, you may never understand why he does stuff to you. Never, 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 never. But you always want to be grateful. And remember, whatever he does is good. We're still talking about Lazarus. What a moment. What a moment. May God allow you to be somebody about whom people are still talking because he created a moment in your life. It may have hurt you, but that's all right. That's what you're here for. Pick up your cross and follow him daily. Jesus was the only one to rise and to never have to go through it again. Why? Because he had done nothing worthy of death. He was a sinless man. And now he was standing here in this this body that was corporeal, meaning it was physical, yet it was uniquely spiritual. And he was God Almighty, but he was the Messiah as well, which represented the ruler of humanity that could extend God's kingdom unlike any other person who had ever been. It was an amazing combination. And these guys had 40 days with him. Woo! And they still didn't understand, and you can understand why they didn't understand. When he said stuff like, it's better that I go, they were thinking, nah, this ain't a good idea. I mean, look at, look at how we're growing through your staying. Look at what's happening to us as a result of you hanging around a little bit longer. We thought you were gone permanently. We thought that's what you meant, but then you came back, and wow, this is even better than when you came the first time. This is amazing, God. It can't be good for you to go. Look at how we are. And listen, you're the Messiah. You're like, you're you're supposed to set up this kingdom. When is that going to happen? It says that Jesus told them to go to the mountain. Now, it says he told the 11 because Judas decided to, to do something else with his life. And so he was no longer on the planet. So there were 11 left. And they went to the mountain. Now, They had a dutiful response, meaning they did exactly what they were supposed to do. They went to the mountain. And why did Jesus say go to the mountain in Galilee? He could have said go anyplace. But I think think he said go to the mountain because in the Old Testament, mountains represented places where people had extraordinary experiences with God. What did God tell Moses when he was there? Uh, getting all the commands of going to Egypt and deliver my people. He said, come back to this mountain. And so Moses and God had an encounter. I mean, that was, that was a 40-day appointment where Moses was getting downloads. And it, it was phenomenal. And then he went down to deliver the commandments and the people had broken them because they were having a party with another God. 
and, and then he had to go back up because he broke the commandments and spent another 40 days. I imagine Moses wasn't too mad about that. 80 days with God. It was so good and so fulfilling that he did not eat or drink for 80 days. Don't try that. That was a once in a, in a, in a humanity experience. Unusual, but it was on a mountain. How about Elijah? Mount Carmel. Fire from heaven coming on a sacrifice. At his word. If I am a man of God, and if God is God, let fire fall down from heaven. And it, it ate up the sacrifice that was on this table, this altar. And, 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 and Elijah poured water on the sacrifice. What, you didn't do that because there had water and fire don't mix. So he was pouring water on, and he kept saying, pour more water. And this was in a time of drought. In a time of drought. It hadn't rained in three years. And so he's pouring. Everybody's saying, not only is he making it impossible for the sacrifice to burn, but he's taking valuable water that's, that's more precious than gold. Everybody needs this. And he's throwing it on the ground? What is wrong with it? They were mad at Elijah. And, and they, he says, and the fire came, and the fire was so intense, it took up the sacrifice. It took up the altar. You got some, you got some hot fire when it can burn stone. I mean, not even leave ash. And it took up the water. Now, why, why was the water? See, Elijah wasn't just sacrificing animals to God. He was sacrificing what the people needed in order to get the people what they needed. See, there was a drought. They needed water. Sometimes in a drought, you got to sacrifice what you need in order to get what you need. Sometimes. Sometimes. Wait a minute, I need this money. I, need, I, I, I can't pay my, I can't pay. Lord, I got bills. I got debts. Sometimes you have to sacrifice what you need to get what you need. That water went straight up. And what did it become except the seed for the storm clouds to form so that rain would fall on the land in the next day on a mountain? When it didn't happen the way Elijah thought, meaning after that marvelous moment, he thought this was going to be a time where the entire nation would turn and revival would come to the entire people of Israel. They hadn't had a moment like that ever. Because there were two kingdoms, one in the south, one in the north. The one in the south, pretty good kings, mostly. They still messed up. But the one in the north, no good kings. They were worshiping idols up there. Elijah's task was to bring the people back to God. And he was hoping that this moment would be it. And after that moment where the sacrifice was taken up, the prophets of Baal were destroyed. After it, he looked and said, wait a minute, Ahab's still on the throne? Jezebel sitting right by him? What was that about? I mean, I did this amazing. God, you look at what you did to my, but my goal was not to be spectacular. It was to be substantive. The people still don't worship you. He got so depressed, so depressed that he went to Mount Horeb, which was called the mountain of God, the place where God met with Moses. He went back to that spot. And the first thing he said is, kill me. Just go ahead. I'm done. I'm through. I'm through. I have no point in me living anymore because I'm supposed to be here for the people, not just for the spectacular. I, I don't know what this is about. Listen, it's difficult 
when God doesn't fulfill your dreams. I realize that. We're going to get to that in a minute. But it's even more difficult when he does what you hope and doesn't do what you want. He doesn't complete what you think needs to happen. Then what? You talk about disillusionment. When a minister begins to believe that his entire ministry is enveloped around one thing, when God has it enveloped around another, when he's given his entire life to this one expectation and God doesn't meet it, yet he has given all of his energy and time to seeing that happen, there's a disillusionment that's hard to break out of. And ultimately, Elijah never emerges from this. Never. He does a couple of more things with respect to the miraculous, but he never becomes a minister that he was prior. And he goes out and gets somebody else named Elisha to be his protege. And Elisha does some of the things that God told Elijah to do. My, my point is this, that the Lord met with people on mountains for significant reasons. Jesus said, come, meet with me on this mountain. So the only, the only thing the disciples had was the context of what has happened in the past when God met with his people on mountains. This was going to be a moment. It's a mountain moment. It's us and Jesus. It's not the 120 that would be there in about two weeks. Just 11 fellas and Jesus on a mountain. This is it. And I think this, this is kind of the, the time period in Acts chapter 1 verse 4 where, where the disciples begin to ask, you're going to do this kingdom thing now? I mean, you are the Messiah. You're going to do this kingdom thing now? Now, Jesus, Acts chapter 1, Matthew chapter 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24 are all about the same time period, within the same frame of two weeks. So we, we, we don't know which conversations came first, but we do know that it was all during that period. And so the disciples were thinking this, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to show up when he says show up. I'm going to be dutiful in my response. He said, come to the mountain. I'm ready. But I have some ideas about what needs to be said in this mountaintop experience. I've got some ideas about some, some, some progress in my own personal life and for the nation of Israel about which I'd like to talk to him. And so we see... In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, not many days from now, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to come upon you in power. And they say this in Acts 1.6, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're always looking for that one thing. When am I going to get my cabinet appointment? When am I going to appear before Congress as, as being approved to be Secretary of State? Minister of Defense. When is that going to happen to me? You're the Messiah. You're the guy who's supposed to set up this kingdom on the earth. At least that's what they thought. On the earth that had unparalleled peace and prosperity. Whose boundaries would always extend until the, it, it, it encompassed the entire earth. And whose time in terms of, of, of length would never end. When is that going to happen? I know you are that. Now, he was Messiah. But he was more than Messiah. He was God Almighty. He was the one that redeemed the soul. He was the one that transformed the heart. He was the, the forgiver of sins. He, he, was, he was so much more than just somebody who was to sit on a throne someplace and tell folk what to do. But that's all they were looking for. When are you going to get me my job? When am I going to have some authority whereby I can tell folk what to do? 
When are you going to allow people, the privileged Israelites, to expand and, and rule the entire earth like what's been prophesied? When is that going to happen? That's the way they thought this post-resurrection thing was supposed to work out. You defeated death. No human being has ever done. I mean, what can they do to you now? They can't kill you again. You're God Almighty. This is the greatest moment. Here, I can set up an appointment with you and Herod today. It might take a little bit longer, but you can meet with Pilate maybe next week and just tell him you are relieved of your duties. You can do all of this. You can terminate all these usurpers of authority and power. You are all that. Is this the moment where we get our appointment? You can, you can come to church on time. Small group. Men, women's Bible study. Financial peace. Prophetic conference. We have a lot of moments when you can have your appointment with God. They had their appointment with God, but it says that some came doubting. Some came doubting. Now, I've read a lot of commentaries on this, and, and most of them say that they were doubting whether Jesus had, was, was really who he was, that he really rose from the dead. I don't believe that. Primarily because it's hard to look at the nail prints in his hands and say, nope, not him. I mean, they already went through that the first day. That was the proof, wasn't it? Thomas came in and said, I'm not going to believe. I know y'all said he rose from the dead, but I will not believe it until I see the nail prints in his hands and the spear, the spear spot in his side. I won't believe it. Jesus shows up the next day when Thomas, Thomas hadn't been there the day before. Shows up the next day. He said, Thomas, hey, what's going on? Thomas said, oh, oh. He says, oh, by the way, see? See? First thing Thomas responds with, my Lord and my God. So I don't think there was much question about who he was. But I think it was kind of the doubt and the unbelief that manifests. When people like you come to church and you wonder whether God is ever going to fix your most important thing at the top of your list. Lord, when are you going to address that knucklehead husband of mine? When are you going to change my wife? She's talking to me all the time about what I need to change. When are you going to tell her to change? What about my 16-year-old? What are you going to do about my supervisor who never gives me my due and somebody else has taken my promotion? When are you going to address that? When are you going to address my health issues? You come with a dutiful response because you're supposed to come to church, but you come in doubt. When are you going to address my stuff? When are you going to deal? Lord, you're the Messiah. When are you going to fix all this? Do you know we have political issues here, oh Lord? When are you going to fix all this? Do you know who's in charge, Lord? When are we going to fix all this? And, and, and that's not Democrat or Republican. There's, there are a lot of Republicans who say that now about who's in charge. And a lot of Democrats might have said in the last eight years. It doesn't matter who's in charge. Somebody's not running stuff the way kingdom would be. Lord, do you know? Do you know? Do you know? When are you going to fix it? Can't you use all your power and authority to address that? And by the way, give me a job as well. <laughs> I mean, I have been with you three and a half years. 
Nobody's been more close. Who deserves the extension of your authority more than me? You surely wouldn't put anybody else except one of these other 10 jokers in my spot. And I can go ahead and serve in the secondary role if you want me to, but you ain't taking somebody else who's not here on this mountain today. When is that going to happen? Doubt. Because it's been 40 days and he hadn't done a thing. When is he? When? When? I mean, why are we here? Why did I leave my job? They haven't received any great commission yet. There are no duties and responsibilities. He's just hanging out with them to open up the scriptures. They don't know what's next. And so they're sitting there thinking, this don't make any sense to me. Maybe I just ought to go back to fishing. Matthew, maybe I ought to go back to tax collecting. I don't know. I don't know what's in it for me. And so they came to the mountain, believing that he was who he said he was, but doubting about whether he was going to do for them what they wanted. And Jesus says, I want you to know, all power and all authority has been given to me. Dynamic authority. There was not a realm in any place of power, any place of authority, heaven or on earth, that Jesus did not own. Not one. God had vested in him every bit of of power and authority there was. And when he said that, I know that they were hoping then the next phrase would be, so now you're going to deal with Pilate. Since you got the authority to give me a job, so now you're going to give me a job. Since you got the authority to heal my body, now you're going to do it. Since you've got the authority to fix my marriage, now you're going to do it. Since you have the authority to, 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 to heal my relationships and, and give me good friends. And, and Now, right? Now? He has authority. But he wants to use it primarily in one area. I'll say that differently. He wants to use it primarily to focus in one area. But when you focus in that one area, it doesn't mean that his authority doesn't branch out to other areas. There is so much he can do this on the way. He doesn't have to target anything to get stuff done in your life. It could just be on the side, fixing stuff. It's a focus for you, but not for him, because he uses his authority in the way he thinks is most productive in the earth. And many times that doesn't involve your plan. Are you listening to me? You got to get this. I realize the message is on evangelism, and I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Dynamic authority, all of it. But he wants to use it in a certain way. That which is in heaven has been given to him, and all the authority on earth has been given to him. When you have all realms of authority... And this is what you are communicating to people so they understand exactly who you are and what you can do. The next words that come out of your mouth are critical. What you say next will define everything about what you mean when you say, I have all authority and what needs to be done with it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. The disciples are sitting there going, Are 
You want me to use my authority to go counsel somebody? To go preach to somebody? To, what happened? What happened to this messianic thing? They were always looking for political power. Always. And they were looking for the power that can transform the heart. When you transform the heart and you realize that the gospel is that which does not have any boundaries. In America, the presentation of the gospel does. I'm not talking about in your personal life, I'm talking about in my corporate life. There are things I can't say here politically. Can't. Because it's a, it's a place of religious worship. And our 501c3 status doesn't allow me to do certain things or say certain things. And in many ways it would be improper even if I expressed my opinion of what is most right that should happen in our nation. And believe me, I have a lot of them. I have so many ideas that would be best. And I am not wrong in them. I'm not wrong. I can tell you I am not wrong. Because I base my, my principles and my, the stuff that comes out of my mouth that has been processed through my brain and my soul on what the Bible has to say. Amen. And not just on law, but spirit and a care for people. I know I am right. Yet I can't talk about those things because my 501c3 doesn't let me. And I'm not quite sure even if it did that I would because I have to center myself on the authority that has been deposited down on the inside of me to make disciples. Not just to be about political change. He can do that on the way. Amen. Now, having said that, please be a good citizen. Amen. Vote. Express your opinions about policies that you don't enjoy in a peaceful and respectful manner. Give good ideas. Be careful about what you say on social media. Remember, every idle word that is said will be judged. Amen. That includes on Facebook. <laughs> that includes Twitter. You, you better be careful because God reads it all. You may have an alias. He knows who you are. He knows who you are. You may go, oh, you, you, got, you got a pseudo name. I get it. You got a pen name. Nom de plume. Yeah. Not with God. Not with God. He sees it all. And you got to be careful about not speaking evil of the ruler of your people. That's a biblical command. You can disagree with policy. You can affirm policy, whatever. But you begin to talk about the person, you got to deal with God then. <laughs> okay. Did half of y'all leave before I get up? Before I lift my head, did half of y'all just walk out? It's important that we understand why we've been given our authority. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Why? Because when you make a disciple, the gospel has no boundaries. And if we get really good disciples, they can make really good policy. You get somebody who loves God with all their heart. See, the gospel is like leaven. You can't put a little leaven in a lump of dough and have it not affect the entire lump. You can't put the true gospel on the inside of a human being and not have it affect everything they do. When you get the gospel down on the inside of somebody, a bad husband becomes a good one. 
a horrible friend becomes one that you can at least tolerate. Some folk can't change. They don't have enough time. They can't live long enough to change enough for you to really like them. But they can change enough for you to tolerate them and to love them. The gospel gets down into people's hearts and makes them different. And the gospel is that which allows you the privilege of becoming the best version of you that God ever thought about making when he thought about making you. And then you become the best version of whatever you need to be. Every good Christian is a really good everything else. Excellent employee. Great friend best mom. Why? Because everything about truth they are trying to put into their soul and make themselves better for humanity. You get this gospel down on the inside of somebody and you make a disciple, you make a world changer. Jesus is the Messiah, but his throne is on the hearts of people. That's where he sits best in the heart of a human being and he rules there and he guides conduct there and when things mess up he has the authority to forgive there restore there go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them we need to enlarge the idea of what baptism meant in this context it didn't just mean though it does mean putting them in water the word baptizo in the Greek is the word, excuse me, the word baptize in the Greek is the word baptizo, which means to immerse. So what Jesus said as the disciples heard it was this, go in all the world, make disciples, immersing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what is that name that represents the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Jesus. That's what the disciples interpreted it as, interpreted it as because when they went and baptized people in water, they said, in the name of Jesus. And so what we see here is is the disciples not just talking about how important it is to dunk people and get them back up. It's also to immerse people in the authority of who Jesus is in his name. Make sure that he is preeminent in their lives. Immerse them in Christ. And teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And that observing doesn't just mean obeying. It actually means to guard you, you, you have to guard stuff that the enemy wants to steal from your life on a regular basis. You've got to be vigilant. You can't just wake up every day thinking that yesterday's food was good enough to feed you today. Meaning that you're not going to chow down on the word today. You got a little bit yesterday and somehow that's going to carry you over. When, when in reality, you need to read your Bible every day. Every day of your life, you need to get in this word. Every day. You need to make sure that this thing is transforming your life. And you have to guard it because the enemy wants to do everything he possibly can through circumstance, through people's words, through your own doubt and unbelief to steal the promises from your soul. And if he can rob you of those things, then he robs you of the future God has in mind for you. You have to guard, you have to teach people how to guard everything Christ has said. Hold on to it. Do not let it go. Treasure it down in your heart. Lock it up in the vault of your soul. You guard it like that. You don't let it go. 
And he says, when you do this, you're going to have the confidence. Anybody like the presence of God? Do do you like it when he's with you all the time? But do you like it when you, you know He's with those, those, those unusual experiences where you say, oh, God, you're here. Yes, yes. Every once in a while, he lets our emotions begin to experience his presence. Sometimes we just have to walk by faith and say, I know he's with me, though I don't feel it very much. I know he is. But if there's anything that God wanted you to know about his presence, it's this. That when you go and preach his gospel to people, when you use the authority that I have been given, and now giving you to do what I primarily want you to do with that authority. I want you to know something. There is not a moment I won't be with you. I'll protect you. I'll strengthen you. I'll be with you in power. I'll be with you as a shield. I'll be with you in encouragement. I, lo, I will be with you to the end of the age, meaning wherever you go, in proximity, when you go on location, I'm going to be with you. And as long as you are on the planet doing this, I will be with you. He will make sure his presence abides with you every moment you are preaching this gospel. As I close, most people relegate this to the fact that these guys were ministers and that's what they needed to do. Please understand, they didn't know they were ministers. They hadn't been ordained yet. They weren't called, they they, they didn't, ministers over what? There wasn't even a church yet. And and they knew they were part of Israel and could they be kind of like new ideas of prophets? They weren't quite sure. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead and he said, I'll meet you in Galilee, not just this moment, but other moments, Peter said, okay, I'll go back to fishing. He, he He went back to his job. These, were, these people were you. They weren't me. They were you. Working a nine to eight every day. They were, they were ordinary folks with jobs that had to take leaves in order to do short-term missions and come back and see how the business was going. They were, they were regular human beings. It wasn't until... He began to invest the authority on the inside where they said, you know, we got to quit our job and do this full time. Don't think this is about me. Though it's about me. It's about you. Every person is called to do this. If you are a disciple, you are called to do this. If you love them, you're called to do this. And the world desperately needs this message, y'all. They're dying. They have no hope. They don't know what to do. I'm not mad at anybody who's trying to change society for what they think is best. I'm not mad at them. They're wrong if they aren't doing it according to biblical principle. But I don't have this thing on the inside that says, I can't believe they're doing this to our nation. That prohibits me from loving them, that attitude. I got to pray for them. I may not be happy. I completely disagree with what they're doing. But they think they're doing right. Why? Because they don't have God. And ultimately, somebody hadn't reached them with this message. Now, it doesn't mean that somebody didn't preach once, but how many times did it take for you to get right? How many times? I mean, some of y'all can go decades. Decades intentionally going wrong after somebody has preached to you regularly about right. Please be merciful to the unbeliever. It takes time for the blinders to come off, for their eyes to open. You just be consistent. But if you're mad at them, that prohibits you from coming in the right spirit.
I beg you, love these people who don't know what love looks like. They have no idea. And he will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I beg you, see evangelism as your responsibility. With your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your fellow students, however it might be, neighborhood, see evangelism as your... And you say, I don't know all the scriptures. Well, we can train you. Firstly. Secondly, if you don't have all the scriptures, you've got a story. Jesus has helped you. Therefore, you can tell somebody about how he's done that. And thirdly, you can pray. It may not be the full course of evangelism, but let me tell you what I do when I go to a restaurant. After we finish the meal, I'll ask the waiter, by the way, is there anything we can pray for you about? Shocked. He's shocked. He doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to do. Uh, I said, listen, take, take the, the check, come back, bring my credit card back, and then you, you tell me what. So they come back, say, anything we can pray for you about? Uh, well, yeah, I got, I got this, I got that. Okay, good. Give me your hand. They're shocked again. Because <laughs> they think I mean I'm going to go home and pray. <laughs> I take their hand. <laughs> they do. They do. They don't think I'm going to pray. Now, nobody prays in the restaurant except for food. You pray for food, that's it. You don't pray for anything else. Lord, I'm praying that you would deal with this issue, help me in this issue, and listen to me. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them so they can come to know you better in Jesus' name. Amen. 15 seconds. Tears. Why? Because Jesus was with me. And they don't know it, but they just met him. They were in his presence, and they walk away thinking, I got more in the tip today. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was, but that, that was something there. Those are, those are moments where I, can, I don't have the full gospel. I don't have time. But I got something I can give them. Love people. Go and figure out how to preach this gospel in such a way that we can make disciples. As a result, we got those waiters coming to our church now. <laughs> Expectations, Sweetwater, Texas Roadhouse. Yeah, all these places. <laughs> what can I say? What can I say? Let's pray.